Words and Music is an intimate, groundbreaking Audible series that blends in-depth memoir with exclusive performances to reveal the storied lives and singular creative vision of music icons. Each thoughtfully crafted volume is as unique and varied as the artist delivering it. Words and Music brings together an extraordinary roster of once-in-a-generation artists, visionaries, trailblazers, and consummate storytellers, including Smokey Robinson, Alanis Morissette, Billy Joe Armstrong, Sting, St. Vincent, and Beck, among many others. Hear them and other groundbreaking artists share their stories and songs, unscripted and unfiltered. Listen to Words and Music, an Audible original series. Go to audible.com backslash words and music to start listening. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, host of Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, you're about to hear an episode of our sister podcast, Rolling Stone's Musicians on Musicians, featuring Roger Daltrey of The Who and Youngblood. A cup of tea or a, a coffee? I thought there was too much. You might be one. I right. a cup of tea. I love it. Where are you doing, man? I live in, in between here and LA. Just like, I've got a place in, in an old that street. Sounds like Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For more than 50 years, the writers at Rolling Stone have been sitting down with artists to go inside their sound, their creative process, and the quirks and perks of being a musician. But what happens when we take the writer away and ask two British rock stars from two different generations to interview each other? Specifically, what might we hear when a legend sits down with a leader of the new guard to talk fashion, optimal recording hours, and managing your image in a world gone mad? Hello, I'm Youngblood. And I'm Roger Daltrey. And this is Rolling Stones Musicians on Musicians. In the past few years, Youngblood has picked up the torch for a new kind of British rock one informed by social causes, personal vulnerability, and an affinity for modern pop and hip-hop. His new self-titled album is glammy, showy, and confident, much like Youngblood himself. At a studio in London this summer, the young star met another quintessential British rock singer, Roger Daltrey of The Who. 57 years after he first sang My Generation, Daltrey is as active as ever, currently rapping an arena tour with The Who. His conversation with Youngblood revealed a rock icon with some strong opinions and a deep curiosity about the experiences of younger artists. I'm everywhere at the minute, you know what I mean? It's just happening, so I'm just like, I'll pick an album when I... And you're at the full front of the new thing coming. Yeah, it was a wave crashed. Yeah. And that's why I couldn't wait to speak to you about it, because I was like, you were like there at the first one. Like the fucking first no, one. No, sec well, second one, right? I was only on the tail end of the first one. I was, what was I? Thirteen when all the, were kind of when we became really aware of Elvis. Oh, that's yeah, you know, so wild. Really tail end. Yeah, yeah, thirteen years old and crazy. The first heard Little Richard and Elvis. Little Richard still rings in my head. Yeah, you know? so wild. Ah, oh, he was everything. Oh, he yeah. was like he did it all. That guy did it. People, lots of people talk about Elvis and they talk about. You know, the other, all the other people were around, but Little Richard kind of gets forgotten. Yeah. Paul McCartney will always tell you it was Little Richard. That's where they got there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but he did everything, makeup, he did the whole bit, you know. Fully, yeah. Yeah, fully. Aircourt, dancing, uh, yeah. legs. It's so mental because I almost came in like late. I thought like you lot were first, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? For me, oh, what, just because it's what, because yeah, I was English saying, yeah. and it was like, 
I knew Elvis and I knew Little Richard. I knew Buddy Holly and I knew Chuck Berry because my old man and my granddad were like, that was, that was it. But it felt so far away to me. Well, we tapped, Townsend tapped into the feeling of, of the youth at the time. There was all this pent-up aggression that's always there in youth. It's yeah, all, And it's whether you channel it in a creative way. And music kind of took it out of our, thank goodness, rock music came along because it channeled that energy. The Teds had that, you know, Elvis gave the Teds something to aim for. And they would go to these concerts and Let get that go. aggression out. And then the Who followed up later. But again, it was Townsend's observation of our fashion and the times were changing. That was done. Now this is something new because it's so different. And I think, you you know, you seem to be on the forefront of that now in how you're modelling yourself. And I just, just listened to your new album and, and it's really uplifting. I, you know, it is a stream of consciousness, but it's incredibly Fun. courageous. I love the way you use the crowd singing sound that you use in your mixes. Like, how do you do that, by the way? It's literally is just, it just, like, just, just it's me and my mates, basically. Just, so, how many mates? Nah, but because we do like, we leave it running. So like I'll put on the system and I'll kind of loop it. Right. Ah, okay. and then like, just multi, multi. So multi. ten of us will stand around the mic, but it's it's mental. Cause it's, it's like it's got a great noise. Sing it high, sing it low, sing yeah. it drunk. That's like it. That. So it's you sing it out of tune because the crowd is out of tune. Like when you go to a gig, fifty percent of people don't know how to sing. No, you know what I mean. So it's but like, that's what makes the noise. Yeah, and that's what yeah, makes the feeling of oh fucking hell, this feels massive. Football crowd. Yeah, and yeah. it's just yeah. like, and then we all change positions and like start like chinking glasses and all that shit. You know well, what, I mean? what I find interesting is, is what you can do with just voices. Mm. You know, harmonies. When you listen to the songs of the Beach Boys and the harmonies and all that stuff, it lifts your spirits. Like, Dude, fully. We, we really need it these days I too. Think, too think, many solo voices singing mediocre lyrics. It was the words for me. I think I came away from Doncaster at 15 and I remember just like the lyrics. No one was saying fuck all or representing me in my head at well, all. No one was fucking saying anything to me. Oh, no one was like grabbing me and being like, yo, I'm with you, I'm, I'm, I relate to you, I'm yeah. next to you. You know what I mean? Everything I was listening to was like 10 years old. Well, you, you've tapped into something that speaks for their, I don't know, you give them, them a wall to write their names on. Yeah. You're obviously playing pubs and that kind of thing. Yeah. But how did, how did you get yourself into them? It was literally, I'd be like, I'm in a band, can I just come and play? Yes. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It was literally just like, I'll play for free. Similar to what we I'll did. play for yeah. free. Pay to play. Yeah, would, basically, yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah. can I, at the, and they'd be like, yeah, you can have like. So that, that part of the business hasn't changed? No, it was right. literally fully just like, because I didn't fucking know. You're in London and then you're like, fuck. And my old man had ran a guitar shop. So my old man had a guitar shop. But that was almost, almost worse because he just knew guitar dealers. So it's just kind of like a guitar dealer's insight onto how to get into the music industry is not the fucking thing you want to be listening to. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's just like, whatever. But I remember just going around and then putting a video on the internet with me, mate, and a young A&R found it, and I went into Virgin, and they went, all right, let's put you on The Voice. And I was just like, no fucking way. They wanted me to be a judge on that, and I, would, I just wouldn't do it. They just said that. I do not want to judge anyone singing. Yeah. yeah. You're only going to squash their spirit, whatever you say. I agree. That's you, know, what I... you can't judge people singing. I... You know, 
But I, I, I remember going into them and like, we'll put you on the voice and if you win it, we'll sign you. But you can't sing about politics. You can't, because I was like starting to kind of write about, I don't know, sexuality, fashion, gender, yeah. whatever the fuck was going on, I was singing about it just to be like, I was singing about my mate who lost his mom or I just wanted something other than I love you, I'm going to shit myself. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. And then uh, I just said no. And and then they kind of just, just, just like, after that, if you say no to a major label, it's like, oh shit, what do I do now? You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I remember by some fucking whatever, been in London for a bit longer, met my manager who's still my manager today. And they'd, they'd kind of been spat out of the music industry. Like, there were A&Rs at labels, quite older, and been kicked out and they wanted to start a company that would kind of tell everyone to fuck itself. And then I remember I just met this guy called Deck. He was like, what do you like? And I was like, I like The Clash, I like The Who, I like Joy Division, I like The Cure, I like Lady Gaga, I like fucking artists who would be like... Creative. Creative and just be like... It wasn't necessarily about the hits, it was about the culture around them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was about the fashion, it was about the idea. And I'll never forget it. To cut a long story short, I remember we put, I wrote this song called King Charles and we put it out and I literally just put up my iPhone and was just like, this is how I feel about the world. I fucking blah, blah, blah. This is songs about this. I am fucking tired of X, Y, and Z. And then people just started responding and. A thousand followers turned to ten thousand, then twenty, and that's just literally what I've done ever since. You talk about young brothers is different from you, but so he's your alter ego. So who's the real Dom underneath it's, this? It's the thing is about. Is he secure? It, no, I'm, com I'm confidently insecure. That's what I was saying. <laughs> you know what I mean about 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 me? I think, but like you sound like I would have been at your age. Yeah. You really do, <laughs> because you're thrown into this lion pit of a you know, the, the rock world and, and everybody expects you to do these wonderful interviews and sometimes you just can't pull it out, can you? Yeah. And you're always <laughs> shitting yourself. Bro, you, can I tell you something? <laughs> that's one thing, that's one thing I think the world needs to know. It's just like, every time you walk into an interview, especially for something massive, every rock and roll star in the world is like, fuck. I hope that you get the industry to really work for you because I tend to see a lot of people um, being financially abused in it, uh, and it's not good. I mean, you know, people having God knows how many million streams of a song that they've written, and they get a check for ten quid. Yeah, it's I mean, it's not on. Mental. You know, it really isn't. No. That is, you know, and that's what's going on. And, and you're in a position that you may be able to. You you've got to grasp it by the bollocks, but you hopefully can change it because you're. My life's over. You know, we've had our career. We're yesterday, but you are the future, um, and it's your generation that can change this in music. And it, but it certainly needs changing. Completely, I agree. I think the idea of a culture, I keep saying that, it's the only fucking thing that I've got, because in this world of social media and trends, we forget about the fucking culture. It all becomes so passive. Everyone was so wrapped up in having an hit record or fucking been big on getting likes on Instagram. Well, music does have the, it has the potential to move society in ways that nothing else nothing can. Nothing else can, because it's a feeling. No, it really does, um, which kind of happened in our period with 
the Vietnam War was going on, and you know, I think music played a really big part in getting that stopped. It brought, it gave the youth of America. It didn't affect us over here that much, but it gave the youth of America a reason to congregate. And once they congregated, they're all in the same boat. They're all fighting the draft, and they're all against the war. Yeah. And it all starts to build a bigger movement. And in my opinion, Woodstock was one of the kind of the first turning of the key to get America out of Vietnam. You know? Dude, That's my opinion. I mean, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But I kind of observed it. You have to believe that society can do that. What I wanted to ask you as well, which is, I, I thought in the car, I was like, because the hill was so quintessentially British and English, in kind of your imagery and your fucking accents and, like, even like me, everyone's like all over the world. I was like, hello, it's fucking young blood, and they mock me because I'm so English. America, when you went there, it was because, like, when I listened to obviously like my generation and the early records, it was like it was a generational idea, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, what I mean? but did you ever think about that? Everyone from my generation always dreamed of just making it big in America. That was the dream. Yeah. You know, being successful in England was great really great but to have a hit record and have a an audience in, in america, america was it's the it was it was fantastic and, I, and one thing i'm really proud of and i observe it at every gig we do now because we you know we still do madison square garden that, you know and it's kind of you know it's 60 what is it 60 64 yeah. years since we started that's <laughs> yeah, no, that's so mental i know it's completely so crazy. insane um but i look down at the audience now and they're going from 80 which is, you know, down to sort of eight years old because they're all bringing their grandkids and they're, and they're great grandkids. Yeah. And then you suddenly realise that music has done something that even theatres never, ever did. Uh, yeah. It, you know, to get that range of audience all the way through society, it's extraordinary. And that it's all happening and these kids are really going for it. They enjoy it. They love it. It's so and trippy you know, to me because... How the fuck did this happen? But it... But I always believed that music could do that. <laughs> it's trippy to me because I'm getting the same kick out, out of older people coming to my shows now. You know what I mean? Right. Cause right. It started as kids, and now I'm like, everyone's like in my meet and greet or something. Like, a, a, like a 65 year old's like, "Yo, I love what you do," and I'm like, I'm getting that same kick like, by going, "Fucking hell, music, what music can do?" Like, it. I'm going backstage going. Yo, I seen this fucking sixty-five-year-old, and he's wearing a fucking Zeppelin T-shirt, and it's fucking sick, man. Like, whoa, you know what I mean? Good. I'm getting that Good. same feeling, going, oh shit, because as I say, like, as the venues kind of get bigger, you you just see the mass of people. Like when you're in the clubs, it's more like that youthful bite and the and the bouncing. But now, as we go into like arenas, it's like. Oh my God! There's loads of people here. <laughs> yeah. This is mental. And like they're bringing their mums and dads and like, yeah. and it's sick. You're the perfect uh, festival act. Oh, it's I mean, wild. your songs are perfect festival music for getting people up and at it. Uh, and, uh, and like I say, that that the way you use your choruses uh, with the sound, it, it, I can see you. Hitting Glastonbury. You did Glastonbury. Yeah, we did. It was. Uh, did you Did you enjoy that? Dude, can I tell you something? It was. Was you on the big stage? We were on John Peel at nine o'clock, which is like, it was, I've dreamt about that slot. And Glastonbury's always been a massive dream of mine. You know what I mean? And sometimes like the kind of. Yeah, and you wait to smell the toilets. You, oh, fucking yeah. <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? You know what I mean? Especially on the Sunday, like fucking hell. <laughs> but I, re I remember it was like, like the British music industry for me, was always quite hard. 
because I think it, it's like any music business. But you know, what I mean, the modern, any. the mo- but America got me first because the way I think the British music industry is kind of set up now is it's like you have to shake the right hands and do the right shit Listen, to get an, a way through Don't ever kid yourself. It's always going to be like that. That's what, but you know what I mean. But like for me. I went the other way because the, the people didn't want to shake my hand. They were like, he'll never, he's like, you know what I mean? They were oh, like, come on. I swear to God, swear to fucking God. In the, we didn't, like, every everybody passed up on us in, in the early days. So to kind they'll of... shake it now. That's what I'm saying. So to go to Glastonbury, something I had always dreamed of, and all I wanted to do was fucking be big at home. But we were big in Holland and Australia and America, and I was like, I just want to fucking be big at home. And then to kind of go to Glastonbury, which is very much that thing. If you're part of the British music industry, you get to play that festival. I got proper emotional, man. Do you know what I mean? Because I got, it was like a Royal Albert Hall moment. My mum's like, fucking, oh, he's playing Glastonbury. <laughs> proper just like telling all the fucking girls down the salon and that. Me mum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But like when you, when you, I don't know, when you like, when I play an arena in Australia or fucking, Red Rocks, she'll be like, oh, how was the gig? You know what I mean? I'm like, we done Red Rocks? we're about to do it. Uh, you've never done it? No, never done it. Oh, you're going to love it. Dude. You are seriously going to love it. It just, just feels <laughs> massive. Like It's fucking mad, that venue. In America, it's like in Denver, we're going to play somewhere like that big. It's mad. Oh, no, in the it... middle of a rock, though. You know what I mean? It's like fucking it's... trippy. It's the most amazing thing I think it's one of the most amazing single vistas I've ever had in my life. Wow. Absolutely astonishing. Just mad. Alan, when did you first go there? Brother, I remember going at 19 years old. And this, I, I got to tell you how I got my record. Three years ago, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you how I got. Basically, we were in the UK and one of my managers was living in New York. And no one wanted to fucking sign us. We were playing gigs in like the Netherlands. And just like around Europe, Europe really went for us first. And um, and basically this guy, this radio DJ in, in LA, heard us on Dutch radio and went, I'd love for you to come and play my my uh, gig night in LA. And my managers were like, I'm depressed as fuck because no one just wants to give me a deal or whatever, or give me the light of day. So they're like, we've got to fucking give him a treat or something or he's going to fucking go mental. So as Dex said, Come to New York, because um, technically the border was less strict in New York, so I could take all my gear through without <laughs> fucking, you know what I mean, having to be caught. You know what I mean? It was I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and then when, so you had a lot of equipment with you. Oh, yeah, you? yeah. Oh, right, just, right, exactly. So it was like 10 of us went in separately, and um, I did a couple of writing sessions in New York, and um, basically this guy I was, like, writing with was in the... Literally, and I'll snip that. Was uh, was working in the Universal building, so I took me fucking one of my best mates. His name's Emmett Power, and he's Irish. Pretended to be my drummer because if you get in the Universal building, you got to put fucking stickers on yeah, that, like right, yeah. you know what I mean, for security reasons. And I remember Emmett rode the elevator up, pretended to be me, me, me drummer in the what studio. Being you. No, pretended to be my drummer <laughs> and would talk to all the A&Rs in the lift and be like, you heard this young blood kid, yeah? He's playing rock and roll on floor three, I'll blow your fucking tits off. 
And you know, A and R's are like yeah. sheep, oh, aren't yeah. they? Oh yeah. So everyone starts talking. <laughs> I know. Sorry, sorry, but what, I don't care. It's like they'll, they'll all. Have to be popular and make friends <laughs> in the music yeah, yeah. business. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But they're all talking. They're all fucking start talking, <laughs> and then tra news travels to the west coast after they start talking. I travel to the west coast and we sign a record deal two days later, in 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 America, because we just went to LA and just started talking shit. You know what I mean? It was mental. You had to have more front than Bloomingdale's. Dude, yeah, it was <laughs> it was mental. It was just and and that was it. And this album almost came out of a feeling that it's the same shit. It's just the same people, yet the different ages putting a boundary on what you can and you can't do, expressing yourself. Unless you fucking hurt someone, it's not on for me, but expressing yourself and like, as long as you mean it with love, mm -hmm. then that that's, it's fucking expression. Do you know what I mean? At the time- But radio doesn't make America, radio just used to control what was big in, a, in the music industry in, in the 60s, 70s, 80s maybe even the early 90s, but now it's kind of nowhere, isn't it? I just think they got me. I don't know why I think they got, like, that I was loud and British and a little bit ambitious yeah. and a bit, a bit, you know what I mean, a bit gobby. And and they like that. They do love gobby. Yeah, I don't know why. I just fucking love it. <laughs> That's where they like Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> it could be very gobby. <laughs> the way I see American music is like it's it's got such a like a blues history to it, which technically we like British rock and roll nicked a little bit, but then like we were all We can't be cool. You know what I mean? We're not <laughs> as cool as them and it's just like it's like our uptight personalities playing fucking blues music. But I think like for me, British music is all about feeling. Like if I go into an American studio it's got to be perfect. Everything, the drum part's got to be perfect. Whereas yeah. if I'm writing at home and I'm a little bit out of tune, it's a lot oh. more cigs and beer. You know what I mean? And Tell me about it. If it straddles the beat, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, that, you're not <laughs> punching people that, between that the was eyes. It, man. I think like British, <laughs> British rock and roll, it, oh, it's almost so, like, oh. it's almost feeling, feeling first, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Because I think that the musicianship in America feels a lot more technical and almost a bit better. But when you look at musicians from England, they fucking feel it. I just think like we're a bit more naively great. Whereas they're so rooted in we're a musicianship. Bit less we're a bit less adventurous. Yeah. Don't you think? That's why, that's why I think, you know, again, you're picking up such a big audience because you, you know, when you look at what else is out there, I'm mentioning no names, but it's all very safe. Yeah. You ain't safe. No. The thing for me is I didn't want to, I never wanted to be safe because I think if I, I love to kick the fucking bear. You know what I mean? I love to give the, I love to kick the you bear. You have to. I was just saying when your music, my music bled into the mainstream, it's a bit alternative and it's loud and it's, I'm doing what I've always done since I was 16 on stage. Iggy. You lot, like you were fucking, you lot were pretty, like rock and roll. Like when, when I seen you on we TV. We were never rock and roll, we were rock. Bro, but I seen you put the fucking, the when you put the fucking poppers in Keith's drum kit. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You got to tell me about that. But I was saying that was what I was inspired by. a little bit more by. than poppers. Yeah, well, I don't know what the fuck they were in. <laughs> the fucking egg grenades. <laughs> but I was saying like, that was what I loved. But it all got so safe that people 
couldn't handle it. But it gave me... But uh, that was just theatrical I, it, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it was theatrical, but it gave me something yeah, to kick against. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You lads were one of the first bands to me who taught me about just fucking doing it your own way and just writing words that... Well, that was Townsend. From the that wasn't me. No, I, but you I, sung them. You, <laughs> the thing about it is you gave it the feeling, man. You know what I mean? Like, I believed you yeah, when you sung them. Thank you. Do you know what I mean, though? That's the thing. I put them on in my ears and I'm like, oh, I fucking believe you. Thank you. You know what I mean? And, and I think, like, it was cool. I think, like, I wouldn't be here today, like, without well, he, your he, music. He, and, after, what time do you record vocals? Oh, Evening or morning? Oh, well, in those days, it would be any time of the day before you did the gig in the evening. Oh those days, God. oh, when you see the worksheets in those days, oh man, you've got no idea. We used to record all afternoon, then we'd be off somewhere to do a gig. I mean, my generation album took, I think, what was it, about three or four afternoons in a studio, for two hour periods with gigs in the night time. That's so sick. It was insane, but it, but it produces the best stuff. Dude, it's so mental. People that spend too long in a studio, you, yeah, often, you often bury it. I hate it. No. But my songs are usually done and d written and produced. It takes, we write it on the first day and we record it on the second day. Yeah. And then yeah. just bang and then feeling all feeling. Yeah. But my vocal, I, I'm always like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. It's like my magic hour. It's weird. Cup of tea, foot 3 a.m., bang. And smash it. I'm tripping. I think what's so amazing is to hear someone you've admired and someone you've kind of been inspired by, not just musically, by what the whole band represented and what was in the fundamental values of their communication, their core, to be able to sit with someone and talk about their ideals and and their where it fucking came from is like a dream come true. And it makes me be able to like, I don't know, I feel inspired. I want to go fucking write a song now. I want to like get on stage. Do you know what I mean? Like, f seriously, I was like, I've got a video shoot after this. It's going to be fucking easy. What, today? Yeah, today. Fucking hell. I know. Oh, I remember those days. Yeah. We're from two generations, but it was the same turning point, I think, with in an individual way, but it's the same. And it was magic to talk to someone about that. Killer. Rock and roll, baby. Looking at the, the road ahead, which is so different from the road that we traveled. Um, you were so much more talented in a way. We had, we hit, uh, you'd hit that road with a full engine and a full tank. We hit the road with a full engine, but the tank, we had to fill up with all, all the wrong stuff on the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, what an answer. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I'd read that and be like, sick. <laughs> You'll find a version of this conversation in the November issue of Rolling Stone. Musicians on Musicians is adapted from Rolling Stone's popular magazine franchise, produced by OBB Sound, and sponsored by Audible. This episode featured Roger Daltrey of The Who with Youngblood. Executive produced by Michael D. Ratner and Scott Ratner of OBB Sound, a division of OBB Media. And by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, Christian Horde, Noah Schachtman, and Gus Wenner of Rolling Stone. Co-executive produced by Dylan Martyr of OBB Sound. Produced by Miranda Sherman and Toby Lawless of OBB Sound. Associate produced by Eve Bishop of OBB Sound. Voiceover by Eve Bishop of OBB Sound. Engineering by Frederick Burness, Daniel Chavez-Crook, Phineas O'Connell, Josh Falcon, Farrow Lopez, Dylan Neustadter, Miguel Romero, and David Lyon-Thompson. 
Edited, mixed, and mastered by Daniel Chavez-Crook of OBB Sound. Original music by James Asciutto for OBB Sound. Artwork by Joni Dobrov of OBB Media. Social media managed by Marissa Delgado of OBB Media.